So we are working through a theme for the year uh, called Story Time, where we are looking at the stories of the Bible, which ultimately point to the singular story of the Bible, which is that of Jesus. We can find Jesus in every part of the Bible. Jesus tells us this himself when he says, the scriptures point to me. It's, we have it painted on our wall here. And we're looking at that through uh, a very, what I think is very fun and very surprisingly insightful uh, source. We're looking through the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, yes, is a book marketed to children, uh, but has a lot of wisdom to teach us and also has, as you will maybe find out tonight, has the capacity to make us cry. Uh, that's me that I'm referring to. <laughs> Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> um, so, this semester, we've been reading the stories of the Bible with the understanding that every story within it ultimately describes a single story. The story of Jesus' mission to restore the universe to a place of reconciliation with God. And the stories of the Bible point to the story of the Bible, which I think is pretty cool. Because, I mean, think about it. The Bible's this massive collection of stories written by multiple people in different contexts over centuries. And it's full of action and romance and betrayal and so much more. All of which tells us the story about the creator of the universe who was so filled with compassion that he chose to manifest as a poor Jewish carpenter living under imperial oppression who teaches a message of love and justice so radical in its application that the ruling authorities have him put to death, which ultimately fails because he's God, all because God wants to restore us to a place of belonging with him. I mean, like the MCU's got nothing on the Bible. It's great. <laughs> the Bible's really cool. But for a lot of us, it can still seem pretty unapproachable. There's a lot of hard stuff in the Bible. And many of us weren't taught the Bible in a way that affirms the love of God for us. We might see the Bible as a book with a lot of bad stuff in it, with not a whole lot to teach us. And what's worse, this perception of the Bible does little to help us with the challenges we face in our everyday life, because we have a lot of hard stuff in our life. A book with a lot of bad in it isn't the place you want to turn to when there's a lot to worry about. And there is a lot to worry about. You know, there's things in the news and our personal struggles with our finances, our health, our relationships, our futures. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by the things that worry us. But tonight, I want to pose us a question that I think will give us a better understanding of how to approach the Bible that will give us a better understanding of who God is and how to apply that to our daily lives as well. So, quick story time. <clears throat> when I was in seminary, I had to take a class on preaching, which at first I was not excited about. See, for most of my career, I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a religion teacher, and I actually have some of my former students in the room here, so like, thank you so much for coming. I've missed y'all. Um, <sighs> But I wasn't particularly interested in how to grow in my faith as a Christian, and I definitely wasn't interested in ministry work. Uh, my priorities were not great, <laughs> let's just say. Um, but I took this preaching class, and I actually came to love it. It became one of my favorite classes. Um, and I think it ultimately helped me learn how to read the Bible well. See, uh, during the semester, uh, when I took this preaching class, 
uh, we would be assigned a passage of Scripture and usually a context to pre preach about it in. Some assignments were easy. You know, I can preach all day about Psalm 23. That's the Lord is my shepherd. Like, that's easy to talk about. You know, God sees us through our struggles. Cool. That's awesome. Other contexts are harder. You know, how do you speak about Isaiah 7, where the prophet Isaiah promises that Emmanuel, God with us, will outlast our troubles? How do you preach that at a funeral? Um, I actually did that. I preached that sermon at my grandfather's funeral. Or how do you use Luke 13, where Jesus talks about the death caused by imperial violence and natural disasters to express the pain felt from continued acts of police brutality against people of color? How do we use the Bible to help us through difficult things, especially when a passage doesn't seem particularly uplifting? My professor would always ask the same question. What is the good news? What is the good news when we read and hear the Bible? It didn't matter what scripture we were preaching on. The question remained the same. What is the good news? And believe it or not, working through that question helped me to write sermons in any context on any passage. It worked out great. It happened to be the only class that I passed that semester. <laughs> There, there's other reasons for that. You can talk to me about it later. <laughs> but it worked out great. And it made me a better reader of the Bible because I do believe that if we work at it, if we look for it, if we ask questions, if we ask the particular question, what is the good news, we can find it in every book, every chapter, every verse, and every word of the Bible. And this question has implications for our lives as well. The good news of the Bible has bearing on the way we live our lives and how we interpret events around us. So our story tonight comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And like, here's just to reiterate my point, the word gospel means good news, all right? So it's like, you don't have to look too far there. Um, so this is in Matthew, and this is during a part of the book that's often called the Sermon on the Mount, so uh, Jesus is preaching now, and he's gone up to the top of this mountain, and he's addressing this huge crowd uh, about a lot of different issues like what it means to follow Jesus, how to worship God well, and how to treat other people. So in this section, Jesus has something to tell us about a way to find good news in our everyday life. So let's read. Um, I'm going to intersperse uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible with the, the scriptural text, and, and you'll see on the screen. All right, <clears throat> let's begin. Wherever Jesus went, lots of people went too. They loved being near him. Old people, young people, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. Sick people, well people, happy people, sad people, and worried people, lots of them. Worrying about a lot of things. What if we don't have enough food or clothes? Or suppose we run out of money. What if there isn't enough and everything goes wrong and we won't be all right? What then? When Jesus saw all the people, his heart was filled with love for them. They were like a little flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd to take care of them. So Jesus sat them all down and he talked to them. The people sat quietly on the grassy mountainside and listened. From where they sat, they could see the blue lake glittering below them and the little fishing boats coming in from the night's catch. The spring air was fresh and clear. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So I love the way that this Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, so I'm going to read that version too. And I have in my notes, <laughs> in big capital letters, it says, Brandon, don't cry. Because <laughs> I cry every time I read the story, so I'm going to do my best. Here we go. <clears throat> See those birds over there? Jesus said. Everybody looked. Little sparrows were pecking at seeds along the stony path. Where do they get their food? Perhaps they have pantries all stocked up? Cabinets full of food? Everyone laughed. Who's ever seen a bird with a bag of groceries? No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that, because God knows what they need, and he feeds them. And what about these wild flowers? Everyone looked. All about them, flowers were growing. Anemones, daisies, pure white lilies. Where do they get their lovely clothes? Do they make them? Or do they go to work every day so that they can buy them? Do they have closets full of clothes? Everyone laughed again. Who's ever seen a flower putting on a dress? No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that because God clothes them in royal robes of splendor. Not even a king is that well-dressed. Little flock, Jesus said, you are more important than birds, more important than flowers. The birds and the flowers don't sit and worry about things. And God doesn't want his children to worry either. God loves to look at the birds and the flowers, and he loves to look after you too. That's some great news. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I didn't tear up. <laughs> it's great. I always do. Um, but it's a good reminder to me that God looks out for us and provides for us, and so we don't have to worry about anything. Yay! All right, that's all I got. So y'all can go home. That's fine. I'm done. I'm just kidding. If I were to leave it at that, I wouldn't be a good minister. Life is too complicated to let us hear good news and things immediately get better. Our world is still imperfect, and our suffering is very real. You might say, well, how can I just not worry, Brandon? I'm short on my rent, and it's almost due. I'm not getting enough hours at my job. I can't afford to go to the doctor for this health concern. I'm worried about the right, making the right decision for the future. I'm so run down by the stress of life that I can't see God in it at all. And I can't deny the reality of our situations. These are very real things. To do so would be disingenuous. But I want to pose this question to us, not just in the context of how we read the Bible, but to our everyday lives. What is the good news? Now, Please hear me when I say I'm not trying to sell us on toxic positivity. We can't just ignore our struggles and try to focus on the good. I'm not saying that we have to be disingenuous to ourselves and to others. What I am saying is that we all have things to be grateful for. 
So, quick exercise in gratitude. What is some good news that has come your way lately? Hey! What else? Hey! That teacher's got their priorities straight. That's awesome. What else? What else? I made it every year. Hey! Hey! To do what? Hey! Here, I'll give you one. Every Thursday is another week that I'm sober. I think that's pretty great. So, excellent. Thank you all for sharing. I'm glad that uh, we can find places in our lives to practice gratitude. It's a good thing. It, it makes you feel better. It's just nice. Now, I want to add another piece to it, because it's not just a matter of practicing gratitude and seeing where the good news in our life comes from. Here's the next part. Where do those good things come from? Now, if you're paying attention, you know the answer. It's, it's God, Brandon. Duh. Well, great. You beat me to my point. Gold star. Just, like, hang out for a second, all right? So, yes, the good things in our lives have been provided for us from God. The same God who feeds the birds and dresses the flowers is the same God who helps us with our schoolwork, who looks after our health, who compels others to help us practice self-care, the one who motivates us to maintain sobriety. The same God does all of these things and gives these things to us. And they will give us exactly what we need at the exact right time. Let me give you an example of, of this. So, again, talking about my time in seminary, it was a very difficult time of life for me. Uh, I lived in Atlanta for two years during COVID. Um, so it was a very difficult time for a lot of reasons, but particularly it was very difficult for me regarding my finances. Um, I was always worried about money. Um, Atlanta is very expensive, and I was always just scraping by. Um, it was a very real worry for me. Like, it, it kept me up at night. It made me sick. Like, I was always worried about money. And one of my stressors uh, was getting to school every day. Um, I was too broke for a parking pass, school was too far away to walk, no public transportation. Don't get me on that soapbox, that's a whole thing. So my options were I could either pay to park on the parking deck, expensive, I could just not go to school, or option C, there was, right next to campus, there was a residential street, and it had five parking spots on it that you could park for free. But the thing was, is that you had to get there early enough to get a spot. Because if those spots were taken, that was it. No school. Couldn't, I couldn't do my job. It was a big stress. And I was so anxious and overwhelmed all the time. It affected my spiritual life, too. So one day, I was here, because I worked here last year, too. And I was talking to my friend, Martha Rogerson, who some of you might know. Yeah, love Martha. And I, and I told her, I said, I'm so stressed. I don't know what to pray for anymore. And she said something to me that blew my mind because of how simple and wise it was. She looked at me and she said, just say the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so here's something to know about me. Uh, <laughs> is 
I am typically a very skeptical person, just by nature. And at that point in time, I was wrestling a lot with my feelings of cynicism towards Christianity. Um, I, like, I would have called myself a believer, but like any sort of like spiritual thing, like I viewed with suspicion and usually a snarky comment. And so on brand for me, the first thing that I heard when Martha said this, I, was, I just said, sweet Martha, that is such a dumb idea. <laughs> I didn't say that to her, <laughs> although she probably would have laughed. And I was just like, that's, that's so dumb. Like, just quoting scripture at myself isn't going to make things better. But I tried it. I did it anyway. And yes, th there's a, uh, a copy of it. I'm sure we're familiar. I did it anyway. And so every night before bed and every morning when I woke up, and especially every day when I got in my car to drive to campus, I prayed the Lord's Prayer and reflected on what each part of it was trying to say about God and the things that we ask for. And I was particularly struck by that part in the middle. Give us this day our daily bread. It's significant that one of the things that Jesus tells us to pray for is daily bread. Not our weekly or our monthly bread, but our daily bread. See, the earliest followers of Jesus understood what this meant, because for many of them, food was rarely a guarantee. The poor and the destitute, the disabled, the enslaved, widows, orphans, these are people who did not always have ready access to food. And in their struggle, it wasn't a matter of surviving to the next paycheck, it was surviving to the next day. We don't need lavish things. We don't even need all of our problems to be fixed at once. We need what we need to get through the day. And at that time, what I needed to get through the day was a parking spot. So every day, I would get my car. And as I backed up out of my parking spot in my 2001 Honda Accord with over 200,000 miles on it, wiping the frost from my window because it was so early that the sun hadn't come up yet, busted headlight, muffler shaking like a leaf, I would pray the Lord's Prayer. And when I came to the part where I asked God for daily bread, I thought about those parking spaces and how if I could just get one, I could manage to go to school for the day. And I would get in my car and drive to Emory, and I'd pull around that corner to the residential street and hold my breath, and sure enough, every single time there was a parking spot there. Now, that might seem like a small thing. A parking spot is not the same as rent money or a clean bill of health or a good job. And I understand that. You're right. But it's what I needed at the time. And God knew I needed it at the time. And the thing, too, is my day would still be hard. Being hungry makes it hard to focus in class. Being exhausted from a sleepless night makes it hard to think straight. And worrying if my car will start back up doesn't help me feel sympathetic to my colleagues who are complaining about school. But I managed to get through my day because I looked for the good news. It was the knowledge that God provided what I needed to survive the day. So hear me when I say that just because we look for the good news of the day does not fix our problems. 
There's still trouble in the day. Jesus acknowledged that himself. But to find the good news helps us to see that God cares for us and provides exactly what we need every single day. And it shows us that the troubles of our day will not defeat us or God because there is always good news. For some of us, this is still a problem. Well, how do we know that God is providing for us? How are we able to see God's provision when it feels as though he's not? Or another concern, what if I haven't earned God's provision? What if God is too mad at me to care for me? Well, the answer to these questions comes from what Jesus tells us to do. So let's look. Jesus says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here's the kicker. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So what helps us see God's provision? We have to strive for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Now, before we discuss what that means, I want to be abundantly clear about something. This is not saying if you strive for the kingdom of God that he'll give you what you need. No. God's love is not transactional. There's nothing you can say or do to earn God's provision. It is a gift given freely out of God's love and compassion for humanity. If you want to know what that looks like, we have a group of students here who uh, do this ministry called Pancakes, where every Friday night they go downtown and they give people pancakes for free. Andrew, not to call you out here. A very common question that you all get asked, what's the catch? Why is that? Excellent. Yes, God's love is not transactional. It is given freely as a gift for everybody, not just people that believe in God, not just people that are the best Christians ever, to everyone. And God's provision is much the same way. I lost my place, (laughs) as always. You do not have to do anything to earn God's love. Do not believe anyone or anything that tells you otherwise. Rather, I think what Jesus is doing here is showing us how to better equip ourselves to see a natural phenomenon at work. And what I mean by that is that God's love and God's provision is an integral part of the law of nature. God's provision is as real and prevalent as gravity, the fact that the earth is round. God's love is set in the laws of the universe, and therefore it is natural and always occurring, whether we see it or not. Think of it this way. It's like using a prism on a beam of light to see a rainbow. The rainbow exists within the beam of light whether we see it or not but the prism helps us to see the components of the light in a new way. And so to be able to better see God's provision in our lives, we have to strive for the kingdom of God. So let's break that down a little bit. Next question, what is the kingdom of God? Good question, hypothetical audience member. (laughs) What is the kingdom of God? It was apparently such a difficult thing to describe that Jesus had to resort to a lot of weird metaphors to talk about it. 
Jesus, what's the kingdom of God? Well, it's a mustard seed. And it's a treasure in a field. And it's a merchant seeking pearls. What? Okay, thanks, Jesus. Put simply, the kingdom of God is our reunification with God in the future upon Jesus' return, but also in the present moment. See, we often think about what life will be like when Jesus returns, but the kingdom of God is also present in our lives as well. At this very moment, Jesus shows us what this... Ah, excuse me. Jesus shows us that this is a reality ever since he came to earth and beforehand as well. See, another story about Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, we get the story that Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, and so he, um, he takes the scroll and he goes to the prophet Isaiah and he quotes him. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And once he's finished reading that, he says to his audience, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The good news has arrived. The good news of the kingdom isn't just this far off dream where, uh, you know, in the future we can anticipate that all of our problems are gone. It's been here every day of existence in every story of the Bible because every story whispers the good news, which is the name of Jesus. See, when Jesus says the scriptures point to me, he's saying the scriptures point to good news because he is the good news. Jesus is the good news. Last question. How do we strive for the kingdom of God? Good question, hypothetical audience member. First, we need to have an understanding of what our job is as citizens of the kingdom. So, open question to the audience. What is the one responsibility of all Christians everywhere? Yes, thank you. Yes, love God, love people. And that's not just like a cute thing that we say. It's our job. And it's not just the job of those who work in ministry. It's the job of every single person who claims to follow Christ, to love God and to love people. And by people, I mean others as well as ourselves. It's an important caveat. Everything we do should be in service to this job. See, when love is the lens through which we see the world, we'll see more love in it and that includes God's provision. The lenses through which we view life have an impact on what we see. I mean, when anger is the lens through which you see the world, you're going to see more things that make you angry, right? When faith is your, your lens, you're going to see things that give you faith. You know? Or negativity. When you seek out negativity, you're going to see more of it. Everybody has a lens, but we have the choice to... to choose what our lens is going to be. And as Christians, it's our responsibility, our job, that our primary lens be through love of God and of people. And look, I realize that this doesn't come naturally to a lot of us. I I think it's very rare, the people who are able to, to view the world with love naturally. The world would tell us to do otherwise. But here's the thing, is that it's a practice 
It's something that we have to work with every day. And there are going to be days where we don't do it perfectly, and that's okay. But what matters most is that we try and that we assume this posture of working to love every day because I promise you it's going to make your life so much better if you do. The more that you look for love, the more that you look for God's love and God's provision, the more you will see it. I promise you. Next, we need to have a clear understanding of who God is and what God thinks of us. And there's a very easy way to do this. It's by reading your Bible. A little throwback to last week. Now look, there's a number of us right now who are working through reading the Gospels during Lent. It's two chapters a day, right? Two chapters of good news. All right. If you want accountability for that, talk to a staff member or talk to me. You know, and if you have questions or if things seem weird, talk to us. We love I I love <laughs> answering questions and talking to students about this thing. It's my job. I love what I do. Right? We can't it's harder to accept gifts from somebody that you don't know. It's harder to accept gifts from somebody that you don't know. God wants us to learn about him. And it's a good thing, too. Make the effort to learn about God. You might surprise yourself at what you learn. And last, we need to give credit where credit is due. We might choose to see the good things in our lives. That's great. That's the first step. But we should also understand that it's God who is the one that provides for us. It's not mere coincidence that our needs are provided for. Those two years of living in Atlanta were really hard for me. You know, there were days where I had $4 in my banking account and rent was due. It was horrible. But somehow, the rent always got paid. Now, there are reasons and explanations for that. You know, there were times where I got more hours at my job, or I might have had an unexpected gift from a loved one, or there were times where I had to ask my roommates to help cover it, and then I would pay them back but the rent always got paid. And, you know, it could be easy to chalk that up to luck or to my own hard work or, or whatever else, but I've seen it enough times to know that it came consistently, without fail, always exactly what I needed to survive. And coupled with what I knew and know about God and the lens through which I view the world, I knew where, or, or better yet, who it came from. God loves each and every one of you, no exception. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter what you have done or what you've chosen not to do. Nothing will prevent God from loving you and giving you the things that you need. God will move whether you see it or not. But life is so much better when we work to see him do it. All we have to ask ourselves is where is the good news? Let's pray. God, you are good news. And the good news is that we are loved by you so much that you sent your son to die for us and to show us how, how to love each other well and how to love you well. I pray that you would help us to see it every day. I pray that we could see it in a nice meal 
or in a beautiful view, or maybe in big ways, help with bills, help with health, help with our relationships. You move every day. The challenge is to attune ourselves to see it. And so I pray that moving forward, that we would help to see you every day. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.